You're listening to Geek Girl Meets. Hello, you're joining me, Kathy White, for the Geek Girl Meets podcast. You know the drill. I'm here to sit down with an awesome lady in tech or businesswoman and unpick her career in order to hand over some really useful tips for you at home. And today I am joined by Nicole Yershin, who is a woman of many titles. And I can tell you that she is most absolutely a superstar. She is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, and a consultant, and was the founder of Ogilvy Labs. Now, slight tangent here. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, if you skip right, 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 right back to podcast number one, I actually interviewed Gemma Milne when she was still working with you, Nicole, at Ogilvy Labs. So there's a nice little, like, so yes. come back full circle. The mummy. You're the mummy. <laughs> well, welcome to the Geek Girl Meets podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you. Now, I've just kind of run off a load of different titles for you, but could yeah. you tell us a little bit more about exactly kind of what, you know, what's a day-to-day look like for you and what do you do now? Okay, so the last 18 months, I've been busy, busy, and I still beat myself up that it's not enough, but I've been busy um, setting up four businesses. So NYC, which is my consulting business, uh, where I help lots of companies um, when they get to a, a point in time where they need a little bit of help or different direction or introductions to people. Lab for Hire, which is much bigger, meatier consulting. So we've done work with with a large FMCG and their future supply chain and what it's going to look like to doing Disruption Summit, which is um, for Disruption Magazine. And there's a group of us. It's a leveraged business model. We come together, we staff up, we staff down, don't actually pay anyone's salary. Everyone It's like a gig economy, mm-hmm. no building to pay for. So a very different way of working, new way of working. And then also Rough Diamond, which is my book, my online course on how to become a kick-ass entrepreneur and a school that we're looking to set up called Ideas College. So we're just waiting for, we've got all the funding for a free school for 14 to 16 year olds. It's for the kids that are about to be expelled and how to kind of get hold of them and make them feel that there's nothing wrong with them and and give them a, another little bit of direction. And speaking, and and then the fourth bit of my business is media planning, is bringing my ba- my dad back from retirement because he was voted by the IPA as top 50 biggest game changers in the last 100 years in advertising. Oh, wow. I know. So you've got some really good <laughs> roots there. In my genes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So as you can tell, when I said that Nicole is a superstar, <laughs> we weren't underplaying it at all. I mean, it's incredible just how much that you are doing now and what you've been up to in the last yeah. 18 months. But I'm going to take you much further back than 18 months. Cool. So when you were a little girl, yes. what did you originally think that you wanted to be? You said to me you were going to ask me this question, and I had no idea then what it was. I can't, I guess the the how my brain works is that I just let go of a lot of information and I just can't remember I'm a super connector. Mm -hmm. So I remember so many different things, but things like that, I have no idea what I wanted to be. I really, really, I can't even make something up. So, um, well, that's fine. We don't want you to make something up. No, (laughs) I I really can't remember that far back. (laughs) I'm so old. You're not old. Stop that now. None (laughs) none of those words in here and in this podcast. But if you can't remember that far back and think about you as a little girl, let's skip ahead. So what has the journey been to get to where you are today? It's been a good journey. It's been a great journey. And I'm a life's optimist. So I'm always, actually my biggest strength 
perhaps is the biggest weakness because I can always see positivity in pretty much everything, which is why maybe I'm in something for a lot longer because, you know, it could be worse. So that's a good lesson for me to to have along the way. But it was a journey of, you know, quite regular upbringing and family and, and schooling, really not very good with authority still get a little bit angst at airports or, or you know, the need to stop the car to be checked or I'm really, I get very kind of angsty of, with authority telling me to do something when I just, you know, want to bash up against it. So I guess there's always been that within me of why are you doing that and, and how come and who says and, and maybe there's another way. I, I remember always being like that and thinking like that. So at school it was perhaps a bit difficult because with teachers I'd push the boundaries a bit and 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 I'd say you know what's the worst that's going to happen what you'll expel me so I'll go to another school so it, it it's not easy parenting that kind of child that questions things and then we get up to date with in, in terms of I went to finishing school really yes to yeah. to smooth out the edges I guess in Hampstead it's called St Godrick's for nice young ladies and it was good actually because it was just full of diplomats daughters so it was quite bohemian and and they were just as nutty as I was in terms of there's other ways to do things and um, and I started work really young I was 19 and my first main job was at Gold Greenleaf's Trot with Dave Trot and I was a secretary there to the creative services and traffic and TV and that kind of, you know, the production mm-hmm. side of, of, of what happens within an ad agency. And um, so it was a really good start in being the, the kind of the person that makes something happen. So it doesn't go over budget, the right people see it. And you had Dave Trot in that corner office to make sure that, you know, it was going to happen or else. So it was a really good baptism of fire and, and Gold Greenleaf's Trot in those days just had the most incredible people working there. That It didn't matter whether you were man, woman, old, young, black, grey, blue. If you could do the job, then you stayed. And Dave Trot was incredible in terms of giving people opportunity if you could do the job. So I was running his traffic system. So it's internal progress control mm-hmm. at age 20 which sounds quite scary now. and uh, But what I see now is that most agencies still run the same style traffic systems as they did even then. And I'm going back, you know, over 20 years. So for those listening that don't know, what is a traffic system? Traffic is, I guess, progress control. Okay. In making sure that things happen on time, don't go over budget, right people see it. Producer. Yes. Re- producer on steroids. Okay. Yeah. So that you don't hit blank spaces or that kind of thing. And so that was a really good baptism of fire in making things happen and there'd be no excuses for it not to happen. And and we'd kind of, it was a very well run agency. Kind of Dave Trott would even say now, I was, I was kind of like that irresistible force against immovable objects because it had to be done. And then I went to Simon's Palmer which is an offshoot of Gold Green East Trot, and I was there for nine years. And I was able there to, I had both my kids there, and I was able to go back onto a three-day week, which was unheard of at yeah. that time because Claudia, my daughter, is 22 and Max is 20. So it was one of the, you know, the first at that time to be cool with you doing part-time. And I, I went in on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday, and that's how I, I, I pretty much ran 
a lot of the things that were happening there within creative services, but I started to get a reputation of being a fixer. So they would start to ask me to do things that were nothing to do with advertising. So the first thing was that they were merging with TBWA and wanted to move to another building. So the the CEO at the time trusted me to do that, to make it happen, because it was really just exactly the same skills as a producer. It was just to get them moved into a building and, and, and not forget anything. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing that, I started to see the digital world unfolding in um you could do so much more and, and people were getting, you know, their own Macs and, and, and laptops. And it just started to be that you it was moving away from a paper world, an analog world and starting to be much more a digital world. And then I got a phone call from about in 2000 from the chairman at Ogilvy at the time. And he said and he'd worked with me at Gold Greenies Trot and Simon's Palmer. And so I'd never done a CV ever. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I really need your help. I just need you to bring Ogilvy into the 21st century. I don't know what it is you need to do. I just know that we need to move from an analog world to a digital world because it feels very much paper and civil service. And I have no idea what is happening and um, who's working on what and what is going on. So that was my brief from them originally 17 years ago. And and I was allowed, I was employed to do that. So it wasn't like I had a job spec. No one really knew what it was that I was employed to do. So I was allowed to be this kind of maverick and and then did a, a work, for, did an audit. So business transformation really all those years ago in 2000 mm-hmm. with workflow system, a finance system and digital asset management system digitized all of their archives going back to the 50s. Oh, wow. Which were all in Stockwell in, in this huge building and got them all digitized imagine that was that was meaty I imagine it was really meaty but also it must have been really interesting looking back at work from decades back on you know um actual film yeah and some of the film was rotting and so if they hadn't have done that then it just would have been totally disregarded Mm -hmm. and so we digitized all of that and then I took over their edit facility and started to rip out all the avids and put in final cuts and started to do a, a dam system. So once it had all been digitized, it was then putting all the metadata to it and working with all these different techies. And the tech, and because I was training everyone, the techies would teach me one way and I'd say, no, you need to change it because if I go this way, then everyone's going to go this way. And so I was the kind of the thick user. Yeah, that the, the IT guys or you know the the head of IT would say, has it been through Nicole yet? Meaning, has it been through the thick user? Because if she can use it, anyone can <laughs> use it. So I would implement all of those digital changes, which at that time was you can imagine, no one wanted it, and especially when we started to do digital delivery with the mill and with Beam, which was their kind of their their digital delivery mechanism. And they would squash down these huge films into this kind of target sequence. And I remember stopping all tapes and couriers and getting phone calls from people saying, where's my tape? And me saying, well, I haven't sent it. And then saying, well, you're going to make me miss my air date and literally screaming and shouting. And I'd say, go to your post house and just pull it down. I mean, that sounds normal and natural to us now. But doing that, say, 15 years ago was not normal or natural. Mm -hmm. And they wanted a physical tape in their hand, just like they wanted physical paper in their hand. So I'm very used to digital transformation within a large organization and getting people to come with me. And that made me kind of see all the other things that were happening around in digital. 
with all these companies sprouting up and I was sending emails around saying, you know, that guys, there's something called Facebook. You need, really need to pay attention. And, and people, some people were saying, you know, stop spamming me because it just was not on anyone's radar yeah. at that time. And there was a time where I was kind of just pushing, pushing and getting nothing back. But there were a few people within the organization that actually liked and were curious. And so those were the people that, that I worked with to try and grab together a group of like-minded, curious souls who wanted to affect change, who wanted a voice to be heard. And I was that kind of the Robin Hood that was taking a you know merry band of men and women along with me on this ride to do something that wasn't traditional, that wasn't the normal. And that's where kind of Gemma came in. Yeah. And so the labs was instrumental in, in doing all these changes with a lot of the people within Ogilvy that were the curious ones, the intrapreneurs, which is a, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit within a large organization where you know that there's another way to do it. It's, there's a better way, stronger, faster, and you want to be able to implement it, but the business model stops you or people stop you. And it's kind of just pushing through continuously to try and make that change happen. And that's where the kind of the book comes in and my online course comes in because I want as many people to be armed with my the tools that I've experienced all the way through of me having my hands tied behind my back and, you know, even setting up the lab. They wanted me to set up Ogilvy Labs, but there's no budget and there's no team and there's no nothing. So, you know, good luck with that. And and it was setting that up with nothing. And how do you make that happen? So there's lots of insights in the book of problem areas I've encountered and solutions that I've put in place that I hope will be inspiring to people to, to have them kind of feel, well, I can do that. And not just within the ad industry or within marketing or because I've seen the work that I've been doing is although I was at Ogilvy, which is traditional marketing advertising, actually all my work has been working with people who are around the edges and outside and much more business orientated and bringing the outside world in as to a world of possibilities of what you could do if you weren't to do your traditional stuff. Very cool. <laughs> I look, 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 you can't see me, listener, but I'm literally looking at Nicole like, and then what happened? <laughs> and then you did what? And then what else was awesome? It's really interesting you know, hearing it back. So I, I fell into the marketing, PR, advertising world seven years ago. Yeah. And... So much has changed. So much has changed in that seven years, let alone see what had happened beforehand. Yeah. But I remember, you know, seven years ago or six years ago, hearing about Ogilvy as kind of a, a leader in the yeah. digital transformation field and being a, a key company to look at in terms yeah. of really kind of nailing a- it. Affecting change. Yeah. And, yeah, it gave them a great reputation. Yeah, yeah. And I think what happened towards the end is that the people that were in position of power just couldn't value what it was that we were doing. And and I think rather than go with a story, I mean, there was, there's been huge PR, hasn't there, about that Matt Eastman story and mm-hmm. the Tamara Ingram email that she sent around, which is just rubbish words. And the good thing was about my personality is that I wanted to leave with the truth. And the truth was they closed down the lab. End of. I'm not going to lie to anyone or sign a you know a non-disclosure or, or or be paid off in saying it any other way. And I would never badmouth them. But the truth is the truth. And that is you close down the lab because it wasn't right for the Excel spreadsheet. And 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 that's fine. 
but let's just go with uh, these are the problems that companies are encountering and let's just leave with the truth and so that we can all keep moving forward and and know where we all stand yeah no it's very very true very true truth there you go right yeah. all coming back it's, so, it's sincerity I think more than authenticity and yeah. so when you're working with other people who are pushing things forward you want to be able to work with sincere people that you can trust and you know they're going to help you affect this change and you can't do it if if you're not open and honest and transparent and happy to have a cup of tea with someone five years ago who then all of a sudden reach out on LinkedIn and just say hi you really helped me five years ago I was in the doldrums I didn't really know what to do and we had a cup of tea and now can you help me do something else within this organization and happy to pay you and so it always comes back good behavior always comes back yeah no it does I wholeheartedly agree with that yeah on that note so post Ogilvy Labs yeah. you've been a busy woman I have yeah so so Let's start with Rough Diamond. Yeah. Where, when did you get the idea or the spark that there was a book within you? I didn't. I mean, it goes back probably when I was younger, what did I want to do? I had no idea that I was going to write a book. I didn't even have any thoughts of writing a book. But when the lab closed down and I went to an event called Summit at Sea, and I always go to lots of these random weird events, not the usual events. I try and go to places where I know no one and I know nothing. And that's what I did to Gemma when she first started in the lab. It was kind of, okay, right, you're off to Dubai and you're going to be speaking in front of 500 people. And and I trust that you're going to deliver, you know, don't have me micromanage you with your with your presentation. I know the kind of thing that you're going to say. And then when you come back from there, then off you go to South by Southwest. It's when I finished with the lab, I really didn't know what I was going to do. So I went to this event and it's where you're put on this boat with 3,000 random strangers and um, put out to sea there's no wi-fi it's like a ted meets davos meets burning man and it's invite only but it's very very um it's not an easy environment to be in because you're always on yeah kind of everyone kind of thinks oh you're having a jolly it's really not like that because you imagine going to a place where you know nobody and you have got to learn and and put yourself around and network and listen and so I went to this event and there's no Wi-Fi, so there's no phones and I'm in this jacuzzi. This could sound very strange. Um, <laughs> I was like leading with, I was in the jacuzzi. Yeah. <laughs> and there are quite a few of us in there and there was one particular guy and we were chatting and he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Nicole from Nicole. It was like this huge realisation that I'm not head of innovation or you know, whatever words I would use previously because I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was a really humbling feeling of I'm just me, very kind of feet on the ground type thing. And um, we started chatting. And he went, oh, my God, you've got some stories. He said, you know, you're, you're a woman um, in tech for the last 20 years, pushing the boundaries. They say no, you do it anyway. Got all these stories. You've got to write them down. So I said, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. He said, no, I'm a, I'm a publisher. I know and this I'm telling you will be really interesting stuff because it will inspire people and they can see that you're not just talking about trends, but you've actually rolled your sleeves up and done it. And most people are talking about business transformation and digital transformation now and still haven't done it. He says, you, so you should write it down. So we stayed in touch because he, you know, it's not like I had a business card on me in my bikini. Yeah. <laughs> But we stayed in touch because he's in Vegas and I'm in London and we Skyped every week. And 
and he every week he would record our conversations and then that then got put into a, a synopsis and this was in the November and then in the January my mum sadly passed and I kind of sent him a note just said listen I I can't do this this you know how many words a chapter he said probably about 4,000 I said I even with the synopsis notes, that doesn't even cover it. And I, I'm not a writer and I can't do it. And I had a bit of a like a mini meltdown. And my other half had said, I said, you know, I'm a speaker and I talk and I, I can't, couldn't get it from my head to, my, to be able to type it. And he said, why don't you try an app called Day One? It's a journal app and why don't you speak into it? And it was that process of speaking into the app very slowly that I could then do one paragraph and then another paragraph and then I'd done a chapter and then and then I I looked around and I'd written a book so it was so that's exactly how it it went I didn't plan it and then a year later I'd published and written this book but I'm a doer yeah so once I'd and also it it did focus me because when my when mum passed I knew that she'd she knew that I'd started writing a book so then I felt, well, now I've got to finish it. So that was a really big push in the, I've got to do it. You know, legacy and yeah. write something on the front page and a dedication. And so for me, when it was all done, the huge emotional relief of disruption, turning a disruption into advantage, disruption with, with the labs, shutting down disruption with mum passing, disruption with divorce, just dis- life disruption and how you turn it into an advantage. And that's how I just keep moving forward. <laughs> Loads She's of almost in that. tears here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very sorry to hear about your mother oh. passing. But, you know, I'm sure she would be incredibly proud of yeah. what you then went on to achieve with the book and absolutely everything that you've done anyway. Now, once you'd got to the point of publishing it, well, actually finishing it first before yeah. getting to publishing... What what happened kind of next? Because I know you get to the end of a book and then it's, you know, it's not necessarily the final version, you know. Did you yeah. have to do lots of redrafting before you got to the publishing stage? No, I had a, a really horrible experience in in the sense that I'd we'd finished it to the point where you then get an ARC copy, an advanced reader copy, and that gets sent out to maybe four or five people that you want to read to literally just bastardize it pick Mm. it to pieces so I gave one to my daughter because she'd just finished her dissertation at Leeds and she'd got off first I thought oh that's great she's used to reading loads of stuff and 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 making it sound better because obviously I I spoke the book which is very different when you're then reading it back although so many people have said to me since reading it it feels like I'm talking to them which is which is good I guess but the ARC copy, for some reason, and I don't know why, it started to get put into the filter. I, I don't know who's for, no point even questioning faults and blame, and it just was. And so therefore the ARC copy, the advanced reader copy, started getting sent out to various people. And that was like, that was my worst nightmare because that was the, I mean, literally it's like I'm illiterate. It was <laughs> spelling mistakes, gram, grammatical errors and were being sent out and I was so upset because it wasn't my final copy mm-hmm. but then you kind of what are you going to do about it you just have to just keep moving forward so I'm hoping now that there are no more arcs in existence and that was just a bad nightmare but it just shows you that nothing runs smoothly 
No. And if you're just trialing these things and you're not, you're not, you don't have a game plan, you're just keeping on moving forward, you're going to experience these hiccups the whole time. Yeah. So on this note, tell me about Rough Diamond. Yeah. What is the what is the purpose of the book? What if someone listening has gone, oh, Rough Diamond, I quite like the sound of that. Mm. I should pick up a copy. What I, should they expect? I think it it's a very honest story. It is about my life, but more about an attitude and 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 not accepting no and keep pushing forward and problems I've encountered, solutions I've put in place. So there are tools there, experiences I've had how I've gone about doing something in a very unorthodox way where most people will think, oh, I could never do that, and I've done it, so it must be okay. You know, it, it, just giving yourself strength of character, a, a voice to be a bit more fearless and just think, I can do this. So it's not even necessarily about my life story. It's more about an attitude. And if I can convey that within the book for people to feel inspired, then, oh my God, that just makes me so, so happy. Yeah. So once you started working on the book and, and got it published, when did the the idea for the course come into play? Well, I've, I always stay in touch with everyone. I find good people know good people and my black book is enormous. Mm -hmm. So um, there was a guy that set up Ogilvy Labs in Johannesburg and Cape Town and then he left and he was setting up these educational courses and I helped him with doing the one with Rory Sutherland in bringing back in and 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 we kind of worked on that together for behavioral change and then I left Ogilvy and but we stayed in touch and and he said well well maybe we can do a course with you and and then we just thought well what would a course look like as the next iteration from Rough Diamond because I really want to go about affecting a much bigger change. I want to affect change within organisations and find their entrepreneurs within their, you know, their lab rats or their these people with these entrepreneurial spirits, and give them a voice and have them take the course, maybe 25, 30 of them, and then be able to do a workshop afterwards of any problem areas they've encountered and solutions that I can help them with to put in place because. I am able to deconstruct problems. I'm a fixer. I've always had that reputation. And so therefore, the problems that most people think are huge problems, when I then go into a workshop with them, I'm able to deconstruct and, and move them forward, if relevant. Because a lot of the time I found when I was working in large corporate, they were trying to solve the wrong problem really well. So what I do with with some of, with my businesses and also with the online course is make sure that I'm giving people the skills to to find their voice, but also giving them when they've found their voice to say actually that maybe that's not the problem, maybe the problem is something else, and not just be swayed by a, a room full of people and and get it down to you know the minutia of of how to fix a, a problem really well with small teams small agile teams with someone at the top end of the organization that wants that problem fixed a lot of the time I also encountered that people talk the talk but don't walk the walk so someone might say oh, I, I really want to to bring in innovation at the very core of my organization but they don't really mean that what they mean is will me out 
with a few pink, you know, and fluffy toys mm. and then we'll meet back in. So it's really working out from a business point of view. Do you really mean that? Because if you just want to wheel me out, then that's great. Don't then say that you want to innovate at the core. While we're on the subject of the book and the course, if someone is interested mm. in Rough Diamond and wants to, first of all, get a copy of the book and yeah. second of all, find out more about the course, where should they be going? The book is is easy. Amazon can you know download it on Kindle or go into any shop. Actually, in fact, I'm looking to do something at Waterstones in Piccadilly on the sixth or seventh of June, so that people can turn up for there. So the book, pretty much anywhere, you can go online and and order it. And the course, the same thing. You go to forty two courses and and you'll see a bunch of really cool courses. And one of mine is on there for the how to be a kick ass entrepreneur. So, yeah, just go knock yourselves out. On the note of confidence, so the, you know, finding your confidence and, and, you know, being the rough diamond Mm. that kind of pushes forward. We often find with Geek Girl that one of the biggest barriers that that women kind of give themselves is a bit of a lack of confidence or belief in themselves. It kind of comes part and parcel with imposter syndrome and everything. What piece of advice would you give to someone who, you know, wants to do all of these things but actually the biggest blocker is themselves yeah is themselves I think you need to take a long hard look at yourself and if you know that everything you do it comes from a a good place and there's no malice and you can lay your head on the pillow every night and know that you've done the best you possibly can then that's the kind of the first place to start but I also I did some work on myself when I was going through you know a rough time with with divorce etc and I talk about it in the book and I did this course called I Discover 360. And it was a really good course on looking at yourself and taking responsibility for your actions. And um, I just, it, it for me, it, it really worked. It wasn't all woo-woo. It was very, very logical. And it just really helped me. So I think, you know, doing those kind of things are really important where you look at yourself very squarely in the mirror and um, and know who you are, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Quite every, you know, every year within the labs, we used to all take emotional intelligence testing in looking for EQ versus IQ. And we would work out that, say, my weaknesses were, say, Gemma's strengths mm-hmm. or Gemma's weaknesses were my strengths. And uh, But to be happy with that. And if there was a board meeting happening and I knew that she could deliver what it was they needed to hear better, better than I could, then I would push her forward into it, not have any kind of hierarchical structure of I'm the boss. There's a very flat structure. So there's no micromanagement, but it's really at the core is understanding people's strengths and weaknesses, which is where you've got to be very understanding of your own strengths and weaknesses and be happy with that. I like that as an as a little add-on then. <laughs> and be happy with that. I mean, you, you should be. No, that's good advice. I've never heard of that course before. That's a good course. Yeah. Yeah, it really, really helped me massively in in taking a long, hard look at myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to check that out because yeah. I could definitely do with taking a long, hard <laughs> look at myself and, uh, and coming no to terms with that next. And just not beat yourself up. You know, have good people around you who who look at your strengths, not look at your weight. I've found within organizations, it used to really annoy me where they used to look at, you know, you're not very good at this, let's make you better. Whereas I was the other way. I was, you're not very good at this, let's just leave it because I know someone else who's better at that than you are. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what you are good at. 
to stop be and that goes back to school you know even with my kids they would say you know they're not very good at that let's try and make you better well that's because they don't like it <laughs> it it's some things are so logical that to, to not beat yourself up about it you just it's just not your thing yeah so it's interesting then you're just talking about school and kids because obviously at the start you mentioned that you're looking at starting a school yeah tell me more about that well, it's not my school. It's it's the guys that I was working with with Ideas Foundation who are looking at all the kids. When I started the Rough Diamond program at mm-hmm. Ogilvy eight nine years ago, it was looking at kids aged fourteen to sixteen who are about to be expelled. We wanted to get them into Ogilvy for them to have a look around this this organisation that they didn't even know existed. They thought their future was a Tesco's checkout or something. So it was a, a program of just wanting to find the kids that think differently. Because I went through that with my son when he was about to be expelled every week and actually you know, being called a naughty, naughty boy. And actually he just was couldn't sit down and shut up and be quiet for eight hours. But I wanted those kind of kids. I wanted the curious ones, the ones that were asking questions and, and how come and who said. And they're the ones that are the pain in the ass. But I wanted them to come in and work with us within the labs. So... So working with Ideas Foundation, and I talk about Rough Diamond program that I did at, uh, in the labs in the book quite heavily. Working with Ideas Foundation, there's a good chap called David Holloway who now runs Ideas College. And we've got the funding for this free school in um, hopefully London Bridge, but in South London. And we've got the headmistress, we've got everything in place. Now we just need the building. And we're kind of like all fingers crossed over the next couple of months that we get it. And then it's then that will be our school for for rough diamonds, I guess. And um, is that you know kind of like a typical secondary school? Will it be eleven to sixteen no, or it's fourteen course? to sixteen? Okay. And it really is for the kids that are about to be expelled. And there are loads of reasons as to why that might be. And it might be that there's like there was nothing wrong with my son. He just didn't fit the usual sit down and shut up for eight hours and do the exams and tick this box. And and I worked really hard with the school for many years. And you know, Mac, it turned it was a success story because it turned out in the end that Max ended up as deputy head boy and he's now at um, Reading University. And he's he's going great guns, but he needed for me to believe in him that there was nothing wrong with him. He just was curious and questioned things. And people are called disruptive. But that's because they're just trying to find another way to do to change something. But not everyone wants change. So it's it, having enough strength of character to keep pushing that forward. And I've come across over the years of doing Rough Diamond that we've come across the most incredible kids. One of the stories was um, with a, a, a young girl that we'd take them out for, for a proper lunch which I know sounds a bit kind of weird because they used to a Nando's or a, and they would be very embarrassed at first. You know, these are 14 year old kids that are embarrassed to speak and eat at the same time and just feel very self-conscious. And we were chatting and I said, oh my God, you feel, you look like you've got the world on your shoulders. And she said, um, well, I'm, I'm just a bit, feel sad that I'm upsetting my mum and my teachers because I'm failing in English. So anyway, it turns out this girl was born in the Congo. So she speaks six languages, like Congonese and Spanish and French and English. And But because English wasn't her first language and she was failing, she thought she was a failure. And we're like, oh my God, you're a genius. Yeah, that's crazy. It just needed us to say that as an insight, which has totally changed the way she views herself. One tiny little thing. 
So, and I find that the same with people within the working environment. It just takes one tiny thing to appreciate what someone has, not not what they don't have, that can change their their direction. That's really, really interesting. What I'd be keen to know with the school, once you have found the building and, yeah. and it's up and running, is there a way that anyone can lend support if there's people I listening know, that I'm want sure to help? It will be it will be a proper government free school. Mm-hmm. It will act in a, a creative free school, so they just won't have to do the same kind of exams that you know the rigid rules of a regular school have to do. And and for me, that was my passion. Yeah, was to try and find these kids that are incredible, but they don't know it because the system makes them think they're not. And they go all the way through because then corporates think that they're not. And I'm just trying to get the ones where I can sniff out, oh my God, you're curious, you're hungry, you you want to affect change. Not that I want to try and have anarchy, but I just want to be able to find the ones that are bloody good and not the ones that are just always that doing what's going to please someone. Because it's not easy doing, you know, pushing for change. No, it's not. Mm. On that note, I think sadly <laughs> we're kind of getting to the end of the podcast, and I have so many more questions that I want to keep asking you. I think very quickly because we weren't able to delve into this as much mm. as I would have loved to. Tips for anyone that is thinking about speaking or writing a book or, or you know, trying to do as much as you're doing yeah with with a good reason for doing it ultimately like not trying to take on the world in stupid different directions but with a a core focus of what they're ultimately trying to achieve I think before they get the core focus because you can strategize the hell out of something Mm -hmm. and overthink it just do just do one thing like I met you on that day of the snow when I was moderating your panel and that event and within we started chatting and within five minutes we'd worked out a plan of action because we're doers right let's meet and we have a coffee and then let's do this it's just a case of doing and not always overthinking and talking about it because once you've done it then you kind of most of the time think that wasn't too bad was it you it's worse thinking about it than it is actually pushing yourself forward and getting out of your comfort zone and doing it good tips Nicole, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Geek Girl Meets podcast. So first of all, thank you so much for joining me. me. If someone wants to get hold of you, how do they get hold of you? Everything is my name. So Nicole Yershon, N-I-C-O-L-E-Y-E-R-S-H-O-N. You're so lucky that you managed to get your own name. I know my parents, that was my parents who who gave me a name. that uh, Even one of my companies is called NYC, New York. Works really well. Yeah. People pick me up all the time for CEW. They're like, is that your initials? I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't actually mean anything out of the context of my own name and company. And also, Kathy White's so popular. Well, that's the thing. Where they, they didn't think about the SEO, did they? No, they weren't planning for that in 89. <laughs> anyway, thank you once again for joining us. And for you, listener, back at home. So if this is your first time tuning in, then I am interviewing Nicole here from Runway East which is in Shoreditch, which is a fabulous co-working space, which specializes in space for startups of size one up to 100. So if you are in London and you are working in the tech scene in some space and you need a desk, then go and check out Runway East. You can head to their website, which is runwayea.st. And if you pop in the code geekgirlmeets, you can get yourself a cheeky discount as well. Until next week, 
Thanks for listening. Bye. You can follow Geek Girl on Twitter at GGMUK, sign up to our newsletter on the website at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk, and you can like our Facebook page, Geek Girl Meetup UK.